two-part message. I don't want you to get your hopes up that when I close the first part this morning, you think, man, he did learn something last weekend to let us out early or whatever. Um, and then we'll sing a song or two and we'll do the second part of the message yet this morning. Lord willing, I'm not going to keep you late. There's no food we smell wafting the aroma up here. So, but, um, James chapter two and, and I, um, I had the message last week prepared and someone said, you're good to go for next week. And I thought, I know how this works, that it usually doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? Um, and so we're looking, not what we were going to look at last week, but James chapter two in our Wednesday studies. We have been studying this last week the, we concluded the first 13 verses. And, um, if you are not in a Wednesday study group, I urge you to join us this Wednesday. And, um, we're going through the book of James and what a challenge and blessing it is. But the more I know and the longer I live, I understand the more things change, the more they stay the same. James, the earliest book that is written in the New Testament, is addressing things that are issues in our day and age. He was the pastor of the group of believers in Jerusalem, which, as we know, was a very large church. But he is addressing this letter to them as they've been scattered abroad. And he's dealing with a number of things to say, if you are a genuine believer, it will be manifested in how you respond to trials, in how you respond to temptation, in how you react to the Word of God. And now... He's addressing, that's already taken place in chapter 1. Now in chapter 2, he's saying it will be, re, it will be manifested in how you respect people or how you do or don't show partiality. So he's writing them, he says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. And then he gives the illustration. If they're come into your assembly, and we're not going to take the time, but someone that is clearly has, is a person of means, well dressed, and, and it's evident that they have money, and you treat them more favorable than another person that comes in in shabby clothes and, and appears poor and, and so on, he says, um, you are not showing the faith of our God if you show respect and, and give one preferential treatment. You know, here it is. First century, first generation Christians, and they're battling with this issue that they're showing people certain respect and reverence and so on. So he makes the application here in into the church. So we ask the question, 
How do we treat visitors? Some of you are saying, should we dismiss the kids? Okay, we'll dismiss the kids. Three years old through six years old are welcome to go downstairs at this time, all right? I I saw some people in the back talking and looking like something's not right. And I, so I started through my checklist and I realized what isn't right is we, I didn't dismiss the kids, all right? So we ask ourselves this question. In light of the passage here, if they're coming to your assembly, we ask ourselves, how do we treat visitors? Not we generally, to ask yourself, how do I treat visitors? Do I greet them happily? Do I give them direction? You may see them in the foyer and they're wondering, where do I go? What do I do? Um, and you might say, well, that's the job of the ushers. They're supposed to do that. No, he didn't say that specifically the job of the ushers. Do I, do I offer them my seat? Are you kidding me? This cushion is personally contoured to my backside. I've sat here for ever since these pews were installed, all right? Um, are we willing to offer them our seat? Do I invite them to sit with us? You know, it's, it's interesting. As I've said, you can see a lot of things from up here. And, um, sometimes a visitor will come in and, and, uh, sit down and you'll see. And you can just imagine, do you know who they are? No, I don't know who they are. Are they friends with so-and-so? They sat with them. I don't know. I mean, and you see the stuff going on like that, you know. And I'm not saying that that is bad. It's bad if that's all the further it goes. See, it's so easy for us to get in our rut and our routine And we come in and we sit down and we stand up when we're supposed to stand up and sing. And we do the right things and then we get up and we go out. And we never intersect with people that God may wanted us, may have wanted us to intersect with. And the reality is this was a problem in James. How are we partial? Not just in welcoming visitors, but we choose who we will talk to, who we'll greet, who we'll smile at. We choose who we will have into our home or who we will not. We choose who we will serve and who we won't serve. We choose who we make fun of and who we do not make fun of. And we choose all these things. It's a matter James is dealing with of of writing people off for inconsequential reasons. It may be because they don't live the way that we do or 
they lack education or they have way more education than we do or maybe on a certain income level or political loyalties that we write certain people off or and it's not like we visibly write people off but in our minds we we kind of sort through oh that's they're not a priority in my life it might be they have an interest in sports and you don't so kind of write them off or vice versa or I mean, we can whittle things down. I mean, all these tests that we, we run things through, whittle it down so it, we have a very small group of people that we actually, actually fellowship with or actually, um, are willing to invest in their life and have them invest in ours. And James says, if we are, a follower of Christ, it is important for us to understand that all of this be put away. I mean, we are partial for just basically a couple of reasons. We are partial because we have evil thoughts. We judge from outward appearances. We come to evil conclusions And Jesus addressed this in his ministry, and we don't have time to go into this. But we we look at someone, we judge from the outward appearance, and we make these conclusions, and then we say, "Well, I'm not I'm not going to have them a part of my life." Or we are partial purely for selfish reasons. All all favoritism has at the root cause selfishness. Either we believe they can benefit us in some way, or we will be benefited by befriending them, or we think that they won't, and that will determine our actions, or the selfishness of just, I don't, laziness, selfishness, I just don't want to mess with them. Why bother with getting involved in their life? Why should I let them in my life? I I love myself. I love me so. What else do I need to know? You know what I mean? It's, It's a situation where we're just selfish. And And in understanding, the only cure for partiality is genuine love. And this is what James is dealing. He's saying, if you say you have the love of God in your heart and you write off people, and and the application is not just in church either. The application is in life. And, And you may ask this question, why does God bring so many hard to love people into our lives? How many of you have anyone in your life that is hard to love? Okay. Some of you are hard to love. (laughs) We all have times that we're hard to love. But there are certain people, and it differs for various ones of us, 
that this person, man, they just rubbed me the wrong way. God, why did you bring them into my life? To, and and we, verbal, we literally think that. Sometimes we verbalize it and we say, God, why did you bring them into my life? And it seems like, you know, we run into them here and then you run into another one that's just like the other one. And it's like, God, would you deliver me from these fools that I'm surrounded by? I won't ask for a raise of hands, but some of you think that every time you go to work, don't you? Andrew thinks that every time he goes to work. No. <laughs> but we ask the question, okay, God brings someone into my life. I'm not supposed to show partiality. What is God's purpose for this hard-to-love person into my life? Let me just quickly list four purposes. Number one, to teach us love. If you love those, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if you love those that love you, what thanks have you? Even the heathen do that. If you love those that are nice to you, he's saying, whoop-de-doo. That's not a mark of a Christian. Even an unsaved person loves those that are nice to them. So where do I really learn love? I really learn love when I'm put in a situation that I don't really like them. And maybe they don't really like me, but I am going to learn to love them. You learn love when people are unlovely. It's not love to reciprocate kindness to kindness. It's love when you overcome evil with good. So one reason God brings that is he wants us to to learn love, to teach us love. Secondly, to reveal our helplessness and de- and dependence on God. I mean, honestly, there are situations that come into your life that you are totally helpless. You do not have it within you to genuinely love this person. And the only way that you'll be able to do that is to get God's love. And so here I am. I'm going through life. I want to honor God. I want to obey God. And God brings me to a situation, brings me to a person that... In my nature, in my flesh, I react to, I respond to, I might find them repulsive. And I am not to show partiality. I'm not to cut them out of my life. I'm not to ignore them. Now what do I do? It ought to make me run back to God and it ought to make me go to his word and say, God, I need your love. I can't do this on my own. I don't naturally love them. I, I, I need you. I need the supernatural. Thirdly, God brings this into our life to show us how much God loves us. 
it says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Generally speaking, we resist the proud. And we run into a proud person and we, we resist that. And it ought to make us say, God, I have been more proud to you than that person has been to me, and yet you love me. When you are overlooked by someone and it makes you resentful, God's allowing that in our lives to help us to understand his heart. We've overlooked him, we've neglected him, we've taken him for granted, and he's trying to give us a little picture of his heart. And when we run into a situation that it's very, very hard for us to love, it reminds us of a holy God that is completely separate from sin, and yet he loved us while we were yet sinners. He commended his love toward us while we were in our sin. That is love. And anything that God asked me to do with someone else, it can no way compare to what God did in sending his son for us. The gap of love is minimal from man to man compared to the gap of love from God to man. And he said, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And God brings this into our life to give us an opportunity to be like Christ. We, we pray, God, I want to be like you. I want to be Christ-like in all that I say and do. Christ loved the unlovely. We often don't think about that when, it, when we think of Christ-likeness. We don't, we don't say, God, I want to be like you, so bring an unlovely person into my life so that I can love them. But that's the nature of Christ's life and ministry. You look at his life. He ministered to those that were cast off and rejected by others. And so we, we understand this aspect. Why does God bring so many, or whatever the amount, why do I have hard to love people in my life? It's not just a coincidence. It's not just bad luck that you've had. It's God is trying to teach us things. And James is dealing, he says, don't write these people off. Don't, don't look at them and say, ah, oh, they're worthless, they're no good. Understand the reality of this blessing that God is trying to teach us love, that he is putting in us his plan and his purpose to help us to understand the ways of God. I'm going to ask Jason if he'd come and just lead us in that chorus 629, Oh, how he loves you and me. And I want you to think as we sing this of God's love for us. 
And, um, and we'll look at the second aspect of this in just a moment. <clears throat> and, and we, we just live our life around them. And James says, if you are indeed a follower of Christ, that can't be a part of your life. And he illustrates it by saying, understand that God is no respecter of persons. You think about it. God, there's, there's a number of illustrations that God is no respecter of persons. Just in the fact of God's design, creation, it's the same worldwide. The sun rises, the sun sets. It rains on the just and on the unjust. God made all human beings. He designed us. The heavens declare the glory of God to just America? No, to the world. So we look at God's design and we see in his design he is no respecter of persons. In his principles of, for example, sowing and reaping, he is no respecter of persons. Galatians 6 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh... You will of the flesh reap corruption. Do you understand? That applies in France, in Zimbabwe, in Sheraton, Iowa, in Timbuktu, in Niger. It doesn't matter. It applies around the world. And it doesn't matter if if a highly educated person or a person that is illiterate, if you plant the same seeds, you're going to reap the same crop. Not just physically, but in our life as well. Do you understand? God's universal in this. Many, many people that have have earned, not inherited, but have earned a wealthy substance have followed biblical principles whether they knew it or not. I don't have the time to go into that. If you question that, see me afterwards. It doesn't matter if they're saved or unsaved. You go back and, and study in this regard. God lays down principles, and, and if you are saved and do this, or if you are unsaved and do this, this will be the result. God's design is um, no respecter of persons. In judgment, thirdly, in judgment, he is no respecter of persons. No one is going to be able to come before God and say, I am the governor of Iowa, or I was this, or I was that. We come as individuals before God. He has no respect of persons. Oh, we got a big one coming up here. He was the president of the United States. No, it doesn't matter. It, it, he is no respecter of person. It doesn't matter fiscal standing. It doesn't matter what color of skin we have. It doesn't matter our family lineage or heritage. 
we are all the same, will individually appear before God. And he is no respecter of persons when it comes to salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him. So here's an an illiterate young man that understands, I have sinned against a holy God and I need Christ's forgiveness. And he calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. His sins are forgiven. Here's a well-educated young man that is all tattooed up, has gauges in his ears, and, and whatever else you can imagine. And he's convicted by the Spirit of God, and he falls on his face and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me. And God saves that child, that young man, that young woman, as readily as he saves anyone else. Here's a individual that is growing up in a, in Grace Baptist Church in Sheraton, Iowa, and has been a good kid, and everyone says, man, he's a good kid, or she's a good kid. It doesn't matter until he or she comes to cry out to God for the forgiveness of sin, there is no respect of persons. And God is desirous to save any who come to him. He is not willing that any should perish. So, to love without partiality, since God is not partial... And we should not, to love without partiality, let me just quickly list seven things. To love without partiality, we must realize, number one, everyone is made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God. We are all representative of God. That's why the Lord said, Whatever you do to the least of these, you are doing it unto me. Now, every one of us have various things that we think are repulsive, that we don't like. But imagine an individual that you naturally are, um, you draw away from. Every individual, I don't care what they look like outwardly, I don't care what their experiences are. They are made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God. And secondly, everyone is designed by God. You know, we we often say that we're pro-life. But many times in our actions, we're not pro-life. I'm moving it beyond the abortion issue. Many times in our actions, we write people off. No. 
Every individual is made in God's image. Every individual is designed by God. So here you have this individual that their personality may not just mesh with yours. And you might say, ah, they make me sick. I don't like being around them. God designed them. Don't you reject and resist God's design? Now, I understand there's the the sin nature that comes into play, but most of us have problems with this aspect of realizing, wait, everyone is designed by God, and no one is more important than anyone else. There's no preferential treatment with God. There's no name dropping. Oh, I was with so-and-so the other day. God's not impressed. Do you know you can never do anything to impress God? And no one is more important than any other. And every person represents eternity. Every person that you meet will live someplace forever. When we mistreat someone, we could have an impact on them that lasts forever. We must learn to see life from eternity's perspective. You say, but you don't know. You you didn't see the guy I met this last week. He was just a jerk. I mean, tried to do business with him or whatever. He was a jerk. That's all there is to it. He is made in the image of God. He was designed by God. He represents eternity. And we understand, fifthly, everyone is corrupted by sin. Everyone is corrupted by sin. And to understand it is that sin that destroys what they were made in the image of God. Every heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And every heart is drawn away from God. And so here's a person that that may be as ungodly as, as can be. And you might say, they are repulsive to me. We have to see the issue is not them. The issue is the corruption of sin and understand that Christ died for every person. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I am chief. Christ died, Romans 5, 6, for the ungodly. So Christ died for this person that maybe just gets under your skin, maybe rubs you the wrong way, and understand that every person needs Jesus Christ. Everyone is born with the need that can only be fulfilled by Christ. And people do things because they are in darkness. And oftentimes we write people off And we fail to see they need Christ. These people that come into our lives, 
Aren't you glad that someone didn't write you off? Aren't you glad that God didn't write you off in our rebellion, in our sin? Yeah, but but look at all the things that they've done. Do you want us to bring out all the things that you've done? Do you want God to bring that out? And in understanding the reason God's left you here as believers is to make a difference and to bring Christ to people. It's not just to make us Christ-like. It's to make us Christ-like so they can see Christ in their life, so they can be loved by someone flesh and blood, so they can manifest this. We get so wrapped up in our own personal lives. We get so wrapped up in, in our partiality. And it's not like I'm writing that person off. It's not like we consciously, maybe sometimes we do, but most of the times we don't, we just lead our life to, to go away from them. I like them or I don't like them. And that's how we decide things. Rather than saying, you know what, God created this person. He designed them. There are things I can learn from them. Maybe God wants me to bring Christ to them. Maybe they're a believer. What can I learn from them? How can I benefit and be strengthened in my walk? What can I contribute to them? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where... You are partial. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you the favoritism that is not a part of God's kingdom. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you the people that he wants you to minister to. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you direction to step out of your comfort zone. And invest in people's lives. We choose who we have over to our homes. We choose who we'll greet, who we talk to, how we greet them, how we minister in lives. And this is all God's at work in our lives, and he's wanting to work through our lives. To what degree have you sinned with attitudes of favoritism, prejudice, partiality. You know, I believe in Christianity today, we need a brokenness over this, a lack of love. I mean, I know it's, it's natural for us to say, well, I, I don't really... We have different viewpoints on things. And this is how... Satan divides and conquers. Now, wait a minute. Especially as Christians, do good unto them, especially of the household of faith. Who are you investing in? Who are you getting to know? Who are you ministering to? When the saintly old Puritan theologian Thomas Hooker lay on his deathbed in 1647, a dear friend said to him, 
Brother Hooker, you are going to receive rewards for your labors. To which Hooker replied, Brother, I am going to receive mercy because I have tried to show mercy. Let me ask you, who have you shown mercy to? It's the simple mercy of reaching out to someone. It's a simple mercy of going out of your way to let someone know, I just want you to know I'm going to be praying for you this week. It's a simple mercy of ministering one to another. And when we come to that point in our life, then there'll be a working of revival. And this is what James is saying. Don't think that all your knowledge translates into godliness. He says, don't think that you are a follower of Christ and you end up putting people out of your life. Donnie and Lisa know that I really love them, that Marilyn and I really love them. And I'm, I, I didn't, I wasn't going to do this, and the Holy Spirit said, do it. Donnie, because of his speech issues, it's natural for people to shy away from him. And to say, I can't understand him. Put yourself in that place. What if you were hard to be understood? Would you want people just to avoid you? Lisa is, this isn't her homeland. You know what? She has a family. I don't just mean Jonathan and Danica. How would you like to be, I don't know how many, 6,000 miles away from home and never get a chance to go home? We think, oh, she came to America, America. Every. I don't care where you go, home is always home. And where there's families, there's always family. And I'm... I'm I'm not picking on them, uh, and and I know I could do it with them because they know we love them. But I'm illustrating. I'm bringing it down where the rubber meets the road. What's your attitude? What has it been toward them? And I'm just using this as an illustration. We could multiply it around. It's not just just them. It's everybody. I mean, well, they don't. I like the Hawkeyes and they like the Cyclones. Whoop-de-doo. We public school, they homeschool. Whoop-de-doo. I like kale. No, I don't like kale. You like kale, I don't, okay? 
But we let all these things divide us. I'm a health nut, you're not. No, I'm not a health nut. I'm balanced. Yeah, right. You know how you can tell you're balanced is that if everybody on both sides hates you, then you're probably balanced, all right? But the thing is, we let all these divisions. And he says, if you have partiality, he said, don't even talk to me about being a follower of Christ. I mean, James hits the nail on the head. And you know what? We need to repent of our partiality. Heavenly Father, I pray in my life that you would cause me, help me to appropriate your grace to love as you have loved. And Lord, I pray that as individuals, we would grow in love. I pray that we would come to see where we have been partial, where we have shown favoritism, where we have neglected. And Lord, I pray that you would bring a revival of genuine love in our hearts. That the love of you, who shows no respect of persons, would dictate how we view the people that come into our lives. Lord, I pray this week as we view people that come into our lives that we would see them as precious to you. And Lord, that you would use us to bring Christ to lives that are desperately in need of you. Lord, may we repent and turn from our selfish ways, and may we walk in your ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's